Find out what's on in our city on ORFM's Dunedin Community Notice Board. Go to oar.org.nz and look for the link. You're one click away from up-to-date community event listings and you can post your own notices free of charge. This programme was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the programme that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr Denise Quinlan and today we're talking about how sports coaches are using resilience and wellbeing strategies to improve team performance and not just at the elite level but in school sports too. My guest today is John Quinn. John has worked with people and teams for the last 20 years across government, education, business and high-performance sport. He draws on leadership skills, positive psychology, mental skills coaching and well-being research and a lot more in the work that he does. John works with um, high-performance athletes, he works with professional teams and he also works with students, both in a sporting capacity and in the classroom. When working with people in teams, John wants to bring out the, the passions that people have and to ensure they're using their strengths for best results. The list of sporting codes John's worked with is long and includes national organisations such as rugby, cricket, softball, bowls and high-performance sport. Kia ora, John. We're delighted to have you with us. Welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. Thank you. Good morning. Nice to have you here. So, John, to start us off... Um, Tell us a bit about what do we mean by mental skills training and why is it being used so much in sport these days? So basically the role of it is to, is to equip teams, coaches and athletes um, with the ability to manage the key moments because what we do know within sport there's, um, there's lots of pressure, there's lots of expectations. So it's ensuring they've got the tools to manage the key moments on the field but probably what's happened over the last three to four or even five years have we worked out that it's not just managing those moments, it's actually managing moments outside the game too. So there's probably more of a holistic way of mental skills, and that's, I suppose, where the posied, um, pos psychology comes into it. So it's just equipping um, them with, with the tools they need to manage of managing failure, because sport is all around failure, um, managing the expectations that go with that. So the key moments I'm on the field, I imagine, like, that's the, the big pressure moments. Yep. Yeah. Look at it. It can be from an event to to building up to a pinnacle event. So if you've got a an athlete that's been training ten years for an Olympic moment, that's a lot of pressure when that moment comes. So it's their ability to look at the moment and manage that moment, not be overwhelmed by. It. And especially in New Zealand, when some of our athletes come from, you know, say athletics, for example, throwing at a national champs, and maybe there's a thousand people watching, to walking into a stadium with fifty thousand people watching and a worldwide audience. So the ability to manage themselves, most importantly to manage their brain becomes really, really important because there's lots of distractions Um, and so it's given them the tools to manage it but obviously those tools transfer into into day-to-day life too so it's, it's kind of life skills Okay, because I was curious. So when you say, you know, there's, there's the moments off the field as well, that's more the, the general life skill stuff you're talking about? Yeah, and look, to be fair, I think as they, athletes get higher up, the, the, the event, the sporting event becomes the easy part because that's what they're trained for. Yeah. Sometimes it's managing the stuff outside, the distractions, the white noise, um, you know, life that gets in the way of their performance because most of us go to work and we will be, um, we will be assessed once a year in an appraisal. They're assessed every week. 
every day. They're consistently being assessed. So the ability to manage that, it's quite different. It's a different environment. And um, I suppose an athlete one day said to me, he said, it's like, it's like going for a job interview once a week, and then if you get the job, you have to reapply. You know, and, it, and it's a good way of looking at it because you know, we go to our jobs and we're all pretty safe. Yeah. Um, we can get our fulfilment from doing a good, good job. Well, these guys can do it and girls can do everything right, but then not be picked or not perform. And that's that's mentally that's a real it's a mindset shift to better how to manage that. And it's challenging. Tell us about some of the work that you've been doing with teams over the years. We're really lucky in New Zealand that um Gilbert Anoka who's worked with the All Blacks throughout 20 years has given real credibility to this work because often when we talk about psychology or well-being, you know, people we're not in a society that embraces it that well at times um, because we so very much have the Kiwi attitude of share be right and, and keep going. So the work that Gilbert's done through the All Blacks and through rugby and the, the success they've had, along with a guy called Kerry Evans, who's a forensic psychiatrist, has given that real credibility to the work. So often our, our initial role is, is to create relationships with the coaches and the, and the players to form some form of assessment of where the needs are. Um, and generally most teams are pretty similar with their needs and then it's working with them either as a team, individually or as both. Um, and often we talk around the ability to, to prepare, what preparation looks like. So what do they need to do You know, under the six pillars? We talk about the six pillars of technical, tactical, um, physical, nutritional, mental and holistic. So how do we... I'm going to say, whoa, whoa, we're all interested. Slow down and say that okay. again. So, so it's kind of six pillars. Six pillars. Yeah. So we look at the, their technical ability, yeah. their tactical ability, um, their physical ability, their nutritional, um, their mental and holistic or leadership, which you really want to call it, the ability to manage outside the game. So, um, you know, obviously every athlete is different depending on their ages and when you're working with them and their maturity. So that's kind of the, the pillars you look at um, to support. And some obviously need more mental than maybe physical and some need more physical than mental. But... What um, the success of the All Blacks has probably given this area is that real credibility that we know we need to get this right. Um, and now with the rise of mental health, um, a lot of sports now really, I know high performance are, I know rugby is certainly put a lot of work in the area of the wellbeing piece um, because our athletes are getting younger. Um, and what we know is that you know they don't mature at the same level sometimes. So we're putting them in situations that physically they can deal with, but mentally... Um, it's not always clear whether they can deal with it until after the event. So, and it's hard, you know. You fell on a national stage. Um, that's tough, you know. You and I go to work on Monday, and <clears throat> we send an email to someone and forget to send the attachment. No one knows, apart from the person we sent it to. They forget to do something on their day, and everyone knows about it. And most of the major sporting co- codes now include player development managers and athlete life advisors. It doesn't matter how good you are at your sport. For most sports, it's a ten-year gig if you're lucky. Um, so creating that environment outside the sport is very, very important. And it's understand that they've got more than one passion. It's not just their sport. Um, there's other things they're good at and there's other things they can um, pursue outside the game. And often you find the best athletes, and again, there's always exceptions to it, but often the best athletes have a nice wee balance um, around hobbies or interests or study outside the game. And often we will challenge them around doing different things. I know there's a sport currently in New Zealand, they a part of their... Um, uh, program is they will make the guys do underwater breathing to learn how to breathe better um, and manage you know doing something different they will make them do ballroom dancing um, they will take them to drama classes so what we're really aware of is it, it's how we give these guys and girls skills outside the game and how we create the ability to be vulnerable um, because you know playing high performance sport is a very vulnerable 
pace because you're exposed to everyone. So how can they be okay with being vulnerable and still perform? So, John, it starts to sound a bit like a school education program with dancing and drama. So let's come on and talk about the work you've been doing with school-age teams. That's probably um, the key part. So the earlier we can get these young ones into it, the, the easier it is. So, you know, I've worked in education in different academies with under-20-year-olds the last sort of, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And so it's the same stuff. And on one level, it's harder because you're almost selling the product. Um, and it's a product sometimes they don't realise they need. Um, because some of our young athletes who are very talented haven't failed a lot. So we're trying to, I suppose the analogy I use them, it's like insurance, you know, car insurance. You can, it doesn't matter how good you are at driving, um, it's what everyone does around you, you've got to be worried about also. So how do you create some insurance policies for things that can go wrong? I love the idea of mental skills as an insurance policy for when things go wrong. And what's in your insurance policy? So again, a lot of it's around that growth mindset stuff. It's a really nice foundation to work with our athletes around because a lot of our sometimes talented athletes are very fixed in their mindset. To remind listeners, a growth mindset is where you believe that you can grow, develop and improve any ability or capacity and mistakes are learning opportunities. A fixed mindset is where you believe that what you've got is all you've got. If you fail, it's proof you're not good enough. John, tell us a bit about how you approach fixed and growth mindset with athletes. Yeah, look, I suppose initially it's working with them as a group and exploring it a wee bit and getting them to understand the examples of it. And again, it's like I think some of them, the penny really drops and some of them it takes a wee while. And from my experience, often some athletes have to hit rock bottom. Sometimes they have to really fail and understand, well, I'm not failing because of my physical or technical or tactical attributes. I'm actually failing because mentally I wasn't able to manage that moment. Um, and then you've got a, a student who's keen to learn. Um, so sometimes they're not always open to the learning because they haven't had to use the tools before. Um, so the growth mindset one often is just basically a, 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 an awareness of it, um, getting them to start noticing when they are growth and they are fixed. And sometimes we play around with the words and not necessarily use growth or fix. We might use something which is more relevant for them. Oh, it could be a performance mindset compared to um, a failure mindset. We can change, you can nice. play around with words, but sometimes yeah. it's around getting the words that suit them basically around it. And so there's lots of different models around mental skills. And one, Kerry Evans, who was the forensic psychiatrist for the All Blacks, talked about a, a redhead, bluehead analogy. And so we might use that with a growth mindset as being in the blue and a fixed mindset as being in the red. So it's getting them to understand they were shift between both. Yeah. That's normal. So how would you describe redhead and bluehead to them? So bluehead, well, you get them to do it. So when you say, okay, tell me when you play the best or you're performing the best, what does that look like? And, and you get them to use the words, the feelings, what we see. And you go, okay, well, that, that could be you, you in the blue. You know, that's you performing really well and feeling really good. And okay, so what will be the opposite of that? What will be the red? And that's often when they're frustrated, they're angry, they're disengaged, they're unfocused, they're not yeah. confident. And you can go, okay, well, that's probably you in the fixed mindset because when you get frustrated, you're not looking at it as a challenge, you're looking at it as a, as a failure. So it's trying to get them to use their words around it and then you want them to go out and play around with it. You know, it's a process. So I still look at 22 seems to be the number, um, 22 years of age when our athletes seem to get it. Um, when, they, when they've matured enough, the brain's developed a wee bit more, um, they've been through a few hardships and they're starting to come out the other side. So John, you're helping athletes make the link that when they're frustrated and afraid of failing, they've fallen into a fixed mindset. And unlike lots of parents and coaches, John actually wants athletes to experience frustration and failure. 
We actually want them in the red to understand it's an okay place to be. We oh, right. We want them to experience that. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the problem at times is athletes want to be in the blue all the time. Well, that's not life. Um, so I suppose an analogy often an athlete used with me years ago was about being the storm. Now, for them, they wanted to be in the eye of the storm when they performed, which is a calm, nice place, but they realised they won't always be there. So it's, okay, well, what tools do you need when you're actually in the middle of the storm? You know, mm-hmm. What do you need when, when you are nervous and it comes down to the last play and you actually do need to nail it? And the outcome is you, know, you won a world championship or a medal, mm-hmm. or, and it's the ability to kind of go, that's okay. I can manage this. It's almost a bit of the mindfulness concept of yeah. just, be, just be present. Just be okay with it. John, talk to us about aiming to be good rather than perfect. And look, we do a lot of work around that in the sense of, um, you know, the quote, you know, perfect is the enemy of great. Um, so we're talking around, well, to be perfect, you won't have moments of greatness. If you focus on being great, you'll have moments of perfection. Um, so often when we're working on an athlete, we'll create, you know, get them to understand what it looks like when they're ready to go. And we will look at what their preparation looks like to do that. And then we'll start taking things off them around it so that we can, they can understand that, yes, the preparation is what they need, but if it doesn't happen, they can actually still play. Yeah. So if an athlete is injured during the week, but they, they know they're going to be right for Saturday, having the confidence and trust that they've actually done the work, um, they can use imagery work and their breathing work to get themselves ready for the game. So, and again, that takes time. It, it, it's like going to the gym. You don't go to the gym once and get fit. You go to the gym three or four times a week and you do a lot of repetition. Um, well, the mental skill stuff is exactly the same. And the good athletes do it really, really well. Yeah. Um, the ones who don't generally don't invest too much in the space. Mental skills are about being able to perform well even when things go wrong. Now, that must take a bit of practice. Michael Phelps talked about he would train with his goggles off in a race, you know, to practice if it happens in a race. I think that's what the good athletes do, and we do that with, with teams and individuals around yeah. what are your what-if scenarios. So, yeah. you know, rugby do this a lot in the sense of training with 14 players in case someone's sent off. Um, but going through those what-if scenarios so you're ready for them, this goes back to that insurance policy. If something happens and you've expected it to happen and you've planned for it to happen, it's not ideal. It's like a, you have a spare tyre in your car. Well, if you get a flat tyre, it's annoying, but it doesn't stop you going where you're going um, yeah. because you can actually change the tyre. Yeah. So it's, it's giving athletes the tools when those things do happen, when the unex, not the unexpected, when the expected happens but you don't want it to happen, you've got to plan around that. And again, that takes time because you can't give a, an 18-year-old 100 options. Yeah, so you, can only, you only want to give them one, one or two options and also you want them to, you know, it's where the growth mindset comes in and the learning part around you actually want them to fail. Um, and, you know, whether it's as, as a parent or as a coach, it's our ability to allow our athletes or our children to fail in a safe place and learn that they can persevere and come up the other side. And that's where the Carol Dweck stuff around, you know, not yet. Dweck says, rather than saying, I can't do that, say, I can't do that yet. You know, it's when athletes can't get stuff because the reality is when, we, when they want to change something, it takes a bit of time to change. Um, so it's the ability to persevere when it's hard. Um, and if we can teach them that, that's a that's life skill. That's not just for sport, that's for life and everything else. So they all kind of cross over quite nicely, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. And without even realising it, we're into stuff that applies not just on the sporting field. I mean, what you're saying about learning to fail is being willing to let our kids fail. In- yeah, look, at it, and it's one we, we try and work with athletes around, just around their beliefs around failure and their beliefs around mistakes. And I suppose the analogy I use of them, I said, look, you remember when you were you know, one or two years of age, whenever it was when you learnt to walk, 
can you imagine if you had the mindset you have now around mistakes? I said, because you wouldn't have walked. You would have got up two or three times and thought, stuff this, I'm staying there. So what we've done is we've learned over time that failure is a negative thing. Well, we've got to try and challenge them around failure is a positive thing if you learn. Mm-hmm. You know, every time you, you, you make a mistake, it's right, what have I learned from that? And how do I ensure next time that I'm better at doing it? And that's, that's a real challenge because some of these athletes have had 20 years or 15 years of saying, don't make a mistake. Yeah. It's important. You will be rewarded when you don't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Well, let's reward them when they make a mistake and they bounce back. You know, let's reward them around, again, a bit of that growth mindset stuff. What do we reward, the best player or the player that showed the best perseverance or the best leadership um, mm. or, the, you know, the best communication? So this is how we shift some of that stuff because, um, you know, the athletes are a bit wary of this. You know, when you start saying, hey, I want you to fail, they're going, well, no, because the coach doesn't want me to. So that's when I work with the coaches becomes important, especially at school, girl and schoolboy sport. It's crucial because we want our athletes to learn there and be okay with failure. Because if they fear it, they won't make a mistake. They won't make a mistake, they're not growing. And then, and then that is as relevant for the classroom as it is for the sports yeah. field. Yeah. Exactly, and that, that's that vulnerable piece, the ability to be vulnerable enough to put your hand up in class yeah. to ask that question that feels like a dumb question, but guess what, everyone else wants, to, wants the answer too, but no one's prepared to answer it. So... And that's a really tough space, and that comes back to, again, whether it's a school teacher or a coach, provide an environment that's safe. You know, so you look at your brain, at the end of the day, your brain will only learn if the environment's safe. And you know, some classrooms aren't safe, um, not in the sense of a physical safety, but an emotional safety. I think that's hugely important in that we're, you know, in sport, but, but wider in education and the workplace, that we're, we're always talking about wanting people to be willing to fail, to expand, to grow, to have a growth mindset. But we often don't address the piece that how do we actually make, how do we create safe environments where people are willing to, to risk it? And that's, that's a big piece of the work, isn't it? Look, it is. And I wish I had a dollar for every coach who said to me that um, they want their players to, you know, to, to fail and feel safe. And then the first training you go to, a player makes a mistake and the coach rides them. And I'm sort of going, what are you doing? You know, or the coach says, I want an environment where we have a really, you know, constructive feedback and where we have challenging conversations. And then a player challenges the coach and the coach goes hard at the player. Yeah. And it's just like, look, you, you've got, you know, I think it's like the whole wellbeing piece. Everyone gets it, but it's hard to do. Are there any other particular kind of tools or strategies that you're using that you think are really, really helpful? Look, yeah, from the post psych stuff, I mean, mindfulness is, is a, for me is a great tool for life and, and for sport. Um, and so it's one we will try and push them around their ability to, to practice being present, um, their ability to practice being non-judgmental, because particularly at schoolboy and schoolgirl level, um, you know, there'll be certainly certain teams that, the players will get really worried about because they're a perceived good team. Um, the other teams that who they perceive as not being a good team. So it's the ability, well, how do you see it, it is what it is? It's just a team. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just it's just a team. So mindfulness is a lovely concept. Sometimes we might call it, you know, a combat focus for some things because it sounds a bit cooler for them. Um, but it's around, again, it's a great life tool. You know, how we actually practice, you know, if you can be more mindful in class, what, what will your education look like? If you can be more mindful in your relationships, what will your relationships look like? And obviously the strength side of things is massive in sport. 
um, you know, as coaches, if they can really be focused on the things that the kids are doing well, because we work the very much a deficit model um, around what they're not doing. Mm. So when players look at the game afterwards or look at the video footage, they're all looking for what they haven't done. They're looking for what they have done. I love this, that it doesn't matter what the language is. It's around actually noticing the breath of what's actually happening and what's good in, in a person. Um, yeah. whatever whatever language gets put around it. Yeah, because I think, as I said, the, the kids are mm-hmm. used to being told what they haven't done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, you listen to the kids, uh, whether it's in a sporting context or a teaching context, the teachers they enjoy the most are the ones who are able to, you know, focus on the things that the kids do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're able to give them feedback about what they've done well. That doesn't mean they don't um, forget about the things they haven't done well. Um, but it's just changing that lens a wee bit around these are the things you did really, really well in the game. So if you can keep doing those, what will happen? Well, these are the things you do really, really well in the subject. If you keep doing those things, well, my guess is you'll improve too. Nice. Nice. And look, John, I know time is ticking on. So a couple of last questions. Um, What's one thing that you would like to see parents or teachers doing that you think would make the biggest difference to um, students' resilience and well-being? Well, one thing. Yeah, you can have a little list if you like. (laughs) (laughs) I think the biggest thing, I I don't know when it happened, um, eight, seven, nine, whatever years ago, parents just went mad. And... um, they went mad around success and they went mad that every kid they've got is going to be the next Rhodes Scholar or the next All Black or Black Stick. And Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah. I don't know when it happened because I said I, I did a session with a school a while ago um, with parents around expectations and looking up with the kids from a, from a sporting context. And I started off by saying to the parents, it's really interesting, isn't it? And they kind of looked at me and said, what? And I said, well, 20 years ago we never had these meetings because as parents you trusted the school and you didn't interfere in your kids' lives. But now we've got to have meetings to tell you to stop interfering in your kids' lives. Let them fail. If they don't make the team, that's okay. So if we can teach parents around almost that redefining what success looks like for a child in the classroom, um, on the sports field, um, because parents seem to be in a real hurry for their children to be successful. Um, especially from a sporting context. If we can just redefine success a wee bit and what it looks like from a growth mindset, I think it would really help our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it would help them understand what success looks like because we're very much an outcome process world um, around what success looks like. Some of our most successful athletes aren't necessarily successful off the field. Um, and, you know, we don't want to, you know, the All Blacks still use better people make better All Blacks. And I think um, if we can keep that as an analogy, it's a nice way to look at it. Yeah, nice. And then for you, if you could only do one thing for the rest of your life to support well-being in other people, what would it be? Oh, wow. Um, look, yeah, look I, I suppose things like the mindfulness concept I already enjoy. Yeah. I love it from a point of view. It's simple to do. Anyone can do it. You can do it any time. You can make it your own how you do it. You know, the, the, the underpinnings of mindfulness around compassion and gratitude is, is massive. You know, if we really understand how do we show compassion towards ourselves and then how do we show it towards others, others, if we can be more grateful, we know the research suggests that's a really big impact on your well-being. John, what's your go-to strategy for boosting your well-being when you're frustrated or down? Oh, look, at lots. I mean, mindfulness is one I use. I don't use it from the purest form. Uh, I use it to a point of just bringing myself present and reminding myself of that being compassionate and, and grateful. Um, exercise is one 
I use, um, you know, I look to go four or five times a week doing something, and that can be from from walking to running to swimming to gym. Um, I think often when you say exercise to people, they think it has to be this really strenuous thing. You know, it has to be a, a boot camp or just going for a walk around the botanical gardens um, is a nice way of relaxing. And obviously, your family and friends are are a massive way to, to unwind, but I suppose if I can do the other things well first, it allows me then to use my family and friends better, um, so I'm actually more engaged. So, like as I said, the beauty of this whole era, I don't think it's a thing, I think there's a number of things, and the more we more tools, and I suppose that's the analogy we use for athletes is, you know, you want a tool bat when you go into a construction site, you, don't, you just don't want a hammer, otherwise all you do is hammer things, so what's some other tools you can have, um, and then how do you keep those tools in good keep, how do you sharpen them and look after them, because who knows when you need them. Nice. John, thank you very much for being with us. It's been a delight. No, pleasure. Thank you. Thanks to John Quinn for all the good work he's doing with our young people and for sharing that with us. John has reminded us that when we want to perform at our best, our mental game is often what gives us the performance edge. We can focus on playing with a growth mindset, always looking for how we can learn and improve. For coaches, teachers and parents, John wants us to be aware of how we can create a safe environment where young people can actually risk failing and be able to see it as learning. John's message to parents is that we have to be willing to let our kids fail, especially when the results are not life or death. Allowing our kids to fail in a safe environment may be one of the most important growth opportunities we provide. John uses a range of strategies to support his own well-being, including being mindful, bringing his attention to where he is right now, being grateful for what he has, and being compassionate and kind towards himself and others when he's frustrated with something or facing a challenge. If you haven't tried any mindfulness before, here's an easy way to start this week. Practice STOP each day this week. So in STOP, the letters in STOP stand for S is for smile, T, touch the ground, feel your feet on the ground, O, take one mindful breath, and P, be present to all that's around you right now. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to listen to a podcast of this show, you can find it on or.org.nz or at nziwr.co.nz. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. This program has been brought to you by the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. For more information on how schools, communities and workplaces can grow their wellbeing and resilience, go to nziwr.co.nz. Find out what's on in our city on ORFM's Dunedin Community Notice Board. Go to oar.org.nz and look for the link. You're one click away from up-to-date community event listings and you can post your own notices free of charge. This programme was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.